Bibles, I'll invite you to turn to Mark chapter 3 today. We're going to skip over a few portions of Mark. We're going to return back to Mark chapter 1 next week. Mark chapter 1, we're going to do that next week. But today I want to focus in on uh, Christ and his family uh, because some interesting things happen uh, in, in, uh, in this passage today in, in Mark chapter 3. Some interesting things with his, uh, with his family. Well, mothers carry a tremendous weight. They carry a tremendous burden on their shoulders. And the amazing thing about women is that they don't typically, we, we don't typically see that burden that they carry. Um, women love and serve, and especially mothers, they sacrifice for our good at all times. Uh, and what's amazing uh, is, as wonderful as mothers are, um, the people that have the hardest time respecting mothers and showing appreciation for mothers are actually other mothers. There's something that's uh, not a new phenomenon, but because of social media and some of the recent uh, things that have gone on in our society and in our culture, there's something that, that's called mom shaming that is happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, uh, let me give you an example of that. On Friday night... Um, Amy and I got hooked watching a 2020 special. We try to not watch these things because in the first like two minutes, if you don't change the channel or if you don't turn it off, you're going to get hooked and you're just going to have to sit there and watch it. And it was the story of a woman, um, or, or it was the story of three children in California that were all dropped off uh, at various places at their birth. A few hours after their birth, they were uh, abandoned. Uh, and it's the story of them coming together and ultimately finding out who their mother was. Now, it wasn't a coincidence that ABC aired this two days before Mother's Day. Uh, and, and over and over and over, uh, they asked the question, how can a woman do this? How can a woman do this? And then at the very end of the show, after they piled on this, this woman for doing these things, and after they made a big deal out of these children forgiving their birth mom for, for doing the, this to them. Uh, at the very end, they said, uh, we want to know what you think about this mom. Go online to abc.com, find the 2020 page, and comment and tell us what you think. And Amy and I looked at each other, and we rolled our eyes and thought, oh, don't go there, don't see that. There's something about shaming people that makes us feel very good about ourselves because if we can put somebody else down... Well, we feel like we raise ourselves up. I want you to understand that Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, would have felt that as well. Shaming has been around for a long, long time. And today we're going to look at Mary, uh, look at her family even, and see uh, some of their failures and understand some of, their, some of the hope that she has. Um, as difficult of the burden uh, that mothers have on them, you understand that Mary had the greatest burden of all. Um, when she was a, a, a young teenager, out of the blue to her, an angel showed up and said, you're going you're gonna to bear a child, and he is the son of God, God himself. Um, she was a single mom, okay? She wasn't married at that point. She was very young. She wouldn't have had, in terms of the way that the world operates, the, the cultural things that she needs in order to do the, the job that she would have. And she's responsible for the life of God. Okay, um, Young parents, get this, you understand this. When you're given a baby, 
and you're holding that baby, there is this wonderful delight and this incredible dread that comes over you because you're responsible for the life of another human being. Well, just imagine Mary holding this baby going, oh no, this is God. Okay, An amazing thing there. But uh, Mary would have had this incredible burden. Uh, the Bible actually says that there's no greater woman uh, than Mary uh, and, and that Mary would be called blessed, uh, favored among women for all generations. Uh, if John the Baptist was the greatest man that was ever born, and we see that he was in Luke seven twenty eight, Mary was probably the greatest woman uh, that was ever born because she was blessed to be the mother of the second person of the Trinity. And yet in this passage, you're going to see massive failure from Mary. Massive failure. And in that, we're going to also see some of our failure. But then we're also going to see our great hope. So let me read this for you. We're going to look at uh, chapter, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, and then uh, verses 31 through uh, 35. Hear God's good and kind word to you today. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Now skip down to verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him, and they called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and my, or my brother and my sister and my mother. Amen. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us uh, this text. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand uh, just how far we fall from your glory, but also understand the amazing grace that you've shown us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him, and we celebrate him, and we worship him. Uh, and yet, Lord, we forget often uh, that he is God and we are not. I pray that you would help us today to see his glory more and more and that you would encourage our hearts with your gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see this in three ways this morning. I want you to see first a mother's concern, and then secondly, we're going to see a mother's collapse, and then thirdly, a mother's confidence. So first, a mother's concern. Look at verse 20. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. As we go through the book of Mark, you're going to see this over and over and over. Mark, Mark wants to draw uh, or make a very strong point that uh, crowds constantly follow Jesus. And over and over he makes this statement that, that there's so many people there and he's so busy ministering that he can't even eat. Uh, so this is where we see a mother's concern. You understand this. Uh, in Jewish culture, mother's were responsible. They were the primary instructors uh, in the home. Uh, And the family was the primary institution in Jewish culture. As the family went, so did the Jewish nation go. Uh, In Jewish culture, your family gave you your identity and security. And moms were responsible for keeping the family together. Mothers served for the well-being of the family, and it was actually their, their national and racial duty to be a good mother. Uh, imagine having that pressure 
on your shoulders for mothers to wake up every morning to say to themselves, if, I don't, if I'm not a good mother, then the nation falls apart. That's an amazing thing to have on your shoulders. And that's what drove many mothers. In Roman culture as well, remember Mark is writing to people in uh, the city of Rome who were under persecution. Well, they would have had a, a slightly different understanding of the family. It was similar, but, but only slightly different. Uh, Because families existed for the civil good. Families existed for the sake of making sure that the state ran well. And mothers had almost no legal status. Women had almost no legal status in Roman families. And yet they were given the task of raising children for the sake of the city-state or the state uh, and so, once again, good mothers meant that uh, the Roman Empire would be, be furthered, would grow, and would be strong. So you see uh, the results or the pressure that's on these women. And into that, Mark is writing, and he says, Jesus goes home. A mother is concerned about her child. Jesus is the oldest child in this family. We know by tradition, or at least tradition tells us, and because the Gospels don't mention Joseph much after Christ's birth, that Joseph probably has passed away at this point. Jesus, as the oldest child in this family, uh, would have been responsible for the well-being of the family. And, and Mary is, is hearing this report. There are two reports that she hears. Um, the first report is this, that he is working too much and he's not feeding himself. Well, moms, you understand this. If you hear that you're your, your dear boy, your, your oldest boy is working so hard and he's not uh, feeding, he's not eating. What are you going to do? Well, you're going to rush and make sure that he takes care of himself. And understand that on Jesus would have been the hope of the family. Uh, when I was in college and in seminary before I got married, um, I would, when I would go home, mom made sure that I had weeks and weeks and weeks of food ready for me. Um, her Tupperware stash was devoted to me and my brother Jeremy, okay? No one had the right to her Tupperware stash and all the food that was con- contained in there except for Jeremy and myself. So um, dad couldn't touch it, right? That was for us because my mom cared about us. And this is a valid concern that Mary would have. She gets the report. He's not eating, and she would have been extremely worried about him. The second report that she would have heard would have been uh, terrifying to her as well. Look in verse 21. Uh, So the family and Mary hears about this, uh, that he's working and not eating. But then they hear this other report. For they... That they probably is not referring to his family, to Jesus' family. That they is referring to uh, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes. What are they saying? They are saying that he's out of his mind. So you understand this. The people that are in power, the people that are in charge, the religious leaders are out there spreading this report. And there's actually, we know by this point, even early on in Jesus' ministry... That there's a a plot to kill Jesus. And Mary would have been hearing these things. So she hears the report that he's not eating. And then even worse, the religious leaders are out saying that he's out of his mind. And Mary would have been rightly concerned about his safety. Look in verse 22 real quick. We didn't read this, but look in verse 22. They're also saying things like, He is possessed by Beelzebub, or Satan, 
He's possessed by the prince of demons, and that's why he's doing these things. So Mary heard that he's out of his mind and that they think that he's possessed by a demon. She would have been terrified for her son. Her concerns are valid. Her concerns are good. Thank God for our mothers and their concern. When I was in ninth grade, I was playing flag football in P.E. Coach Barham, Eric Barham was, was um, oh, I, don't, I don't know if that's his first name, Coach Barham. Sam, thank you. Um, Eric was his son. Uh, coach Barham was our coach. We were playing flag football, and a, a very large boy named Lester Hill, he was about three times my size, ran into me. I went that direction. My leg went in the other direction, and it snapped. And all I knew is I was, I was about 10 feet in the air, floating down, and I hit the ground with a thud, and I had the most extreme pain in my leg, uh, even to this day, the most extreme pain that I'd ever felt. And so I was laying on the ground, and I heard someone in the back um, say, Coach, he's falling, and he can't get up, and everyone laughed. And, and it was funny for everyone, and I, was, and I started laughing too because it was pretty funny in that moment. But I had so much pain, and I could feel my knee just throbbing, throbbing, throbbing. And what do you think Coach did? Coach came up and said, Walk it off, Dotson. So I got up, and I immediately fell over, passed out in pain. And he said, well, just drag him off the field so we can keep on playing. Thanks, Coach. Uh, no, no help there, no tender words there. They dragged me off. They kept on playing. My knees swole up to about the size of, um, of a small cantaloupe, right? Um, so then after that, he said, he came over to me again. He said, you've got to be able to walk on it now. I got up. I walked. I passed out from pain. He had some boys carry me. To the office. There, I met uh, the vice principal Warren Drake, and uh, Warren Drake saw me and he said, "What are you doing here? You're fine. Get up and walk." Well, I got up and I said, "I can't walk. Every time I walk, I, I fall down, and, and I couldn't walk. I, I passed out right away. Okay, it was too much pain." Um, and he said, "Well, who do you want me to call?" And I and I knew that day that that probably my mom wasn't going to be able to come get me. She was doing something. I said, I don't, I don't know what my mom, I know my mom can't come. Call my dad. So they called my dad. And my dad said, I can't come. Tell him, tell him to get up and walk. He'll be fine, right? And I thought, Dad, I hope my dad doesn't come. Well, I was in the office, and as I was waiting, my, my, I watched my knees swell from a cantaloupe. And it was getting to be the size of a, a small watermelon. And I was like, if dad comes, he's going to make me walk on it. He's not going to have any compassion and Thankfully, mom showed up. Now, mom, she got me in the car. She took me not to the hospital first. She was just take me to the doctor. When we got to the doctor, it was Dr. Fontenot and Zachary. Um, they didn't have a wheelchair available. They didn't have a wheelchair that, was, that could um, support my leg, you know, the ones where the, the leg comes out. And so what my mom had to do was hold my leg in one position as one of the nurses pushed behind me Every single moment, every single thing, every slight little tweak hurt. And here's my loving and caring and compassionate mom not saying, get up and walk, but cradling my leg. And at every moment, just tears pouring down her eyes, knowing that I'm in pain. She stayed there. Uh, ultimately, my knee swole up to the size of a watermelon. And what they found out a few months later was that they had an, I had a bone chip that was lodged in between my kneecap and my, uh, my uh, femur. Uh, and every time I tried to walk on it, pressure would go in there. And the doctors didn't know about it. And Dad kept on trying to make me bend my leg. 
that whole story is just to say this. Thank goodness for our mothers. Thank goodness for our mothers. All right, so the second thing we see, though, is Mary's collapse. In this, we see her monumental failure. She, and this is a very public failure. She forgets who her son Jesus truly is. Mary's concern, her motherly concern, blinds her to the truth. So here's what she does. In verse 21, her and her family, she's with her family. We know that she's with her family. She would have been the head of her family. She comes up, with, and they all come up with this idea. What are they going to do? They hear about Jesus. Verse 21, when the, the, his family heard it, they went out to seize him. Some of your translations are going to say restrain him. Maybe some of them soften a little bit and say uh, stop him or something like that. Uh, the word for restrain that's used there is a violent word. And I want you to understand this, that their thinking is Jesus, he, he's not taking care of himself. He, don't, he doesn't know what he's doing. And so what she wants to do is to grab Jesus, to impose her authority on him. But you know that Jesus is no ordinary man. And Mary doing this, well, she should have known better. And as a matter of fact, we know that she did know better. The angel had pronounced to her that Jesus was the Son of God and that he was on a mission from God. So Mary wanted to restrain Jesus. Secondly, Mary wanted to, and this is maybe the worst thing, to prevent Jesus in his ministry. Understand, Jesus was on a mission from God, and that mission was heading Somewhere It was heading to a place, and she could see it, it was heading to a place that she did not like. Jesus knew where it was going as well. Jesus said over and over and over, I'm going to a cross, I'm going to die. And Mary knew that, and she didn't like it. Jesus was on a mission from his father, and Mary's concern for her son's safety and his health trumped her concern for God's will. Now, That is a really big deal. Think about it this way. Jesus is there preaching in ministry. They want to grab Jesus. They want to restrain Jesus and prevent him from doing his ministry. What would that mean? What would it mean if Mary and the family were successful at preventing Jesus in his ministry? Well, that means that there would have been no salvation for anyone. There would have been no salvation even for Mary. Mary was a sinner in need of a redeemer. And she wanted to stop her redeemer from fulfilling his mission. No salvation for Mary or anyone else. And in this moment, Mary is doing exactly what Satan did and what we saw in the temptation in the wilderness last week. If Mary was successful, that means that No one gets salvation. We don't get salvation. Now, Jesus understood that. And thank goodness he didn't stop. Well, Mary's mistake is actually our mistake. Her failure is our failure. We we would like to pile on this mother for doing what she does, but we forget that we do the same thing. What do they want to do? They want to control Jesus. Look at verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, standing outside. They sent to him, and they called to him. Mary and the family said, look, Jesus, you're in our family. 
We call to you. You come to us. Right? That's what we do all the time. We want Jesus to bend to our will. We want Jesus. We want a Jesus that we can control. And we will take Jesus as long as he doesn't disgrace us or embarrass our families or make us feel bad about ourselves or doesn't make us look bad or any of those things. We'll take that Jesus. But we don't want the Jesus that is going to bring disgrace upon us. We don't want the Jesus that's going to reveal and expose our sin. We don't want the Jesus that is going to ask us to go through fiery trials and suffering. But we want a Jesus instead that we can control. Well, here's the reality. Jesus is going to bring disgrace upon his family. Jesus looks at his mother's at his mother and his brothers and his sisters and all those who are outside to seize him and he doesn't come out. He doesn't listen to his mom because he's on a greater mission. He's on a mission to save them and he is willing for his family to be disgraced for the sake of the salvation of the world. And I want you to understand something. We in the South highly value and prize our families. Um, Everywhere you go, okay, the first question that you're asked in the South is, who's your mom? Who's your dad? Okay, Because what we try to do is we try to find out a connection that we have to some family. And, and typically, especially in a small town like Clinton, it's not hard if you meet somebody new to figure out who they are and where they're from and who their people are. Well, what Jesus says is that your family doesn't give you your identity. Your family doesn't give you your meaning or your purpose And in the South, we need to hear this. Jesus Christ will bring disgrace upon your family so that he can do the greater thing of saving your family and redeeming your family. Your identity should not come from your family. And Jesus will do the greater thing in order to save us, or he'll do the hard thing in order to save us. Finally, a mother's confidence, verses 33 through 35. This is what he says. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around them, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whosoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Uh, We're invited here, and this is an amazing thing. And Mary's actually invited in this. Mary is standing outside and Jesus is inside and she doesn't want to go into him. And Jesus throws open his arms and he says, I want you to know who is in my family. Mary says, and initially, and this is what we say, uh, that Jesus needs to join with us. But Mary's hope, her family's hope, and our hope is not that Jesus joins our family Our hope is not that we invite Jesus in, but our hope is that he invites us. You see, it's not that he becomes a member of our family, but that we become a member of his. And how do we become a member of his family? Well, he gives us a clue here. He tells us, he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around, he said, Whoever does the will of God, is he is my brother and my sister and my mother. What an amazing thing. Because what we see here is that Jesus is making a new and better family. Not a family of blood, but a family that's bought with blood. And his, his own blood. 
And this is the good news for us, is that there is a greater family for you and I. And we're actually told here that it's, it's a matter of family resemblance. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Who are the ones that are in Christ's family? The ones that do the will of God. What is the will of God? In John chapter 6, people ask, the scribes ask Jesus that question. What are the works that God expects of us? What does God the Father really want? And Jesus' answer is very simply. What God really wants, his will, is for you to believe in the one in whom he sent. Who has he sent? He sent his son, his beloved son, Jesus Christ. What does it mean to do the will of the Father? The will of the Father is for us to believe in Jesus. And by believing in Jesus, guess what? We are invited to join his family. So this is an invitation for all of us. The doors are open wide. What good news. If your hope is in your family, if your hope is in what you can do to keep your family together and to make sure your family is never disgraced or never uh, looks bad in in the eyes of the world, you're asked to give all of that up. And you're asked instead to join Christ in his family, to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, to have the spiritual birth, the new birth. And here's the good news. All are invited. But sadly, we're told that only a few will come, but all are invited. Let me conclude by just saying this uh, to the moms out there. You need to remember something. I've said this so much the last two weeks that it's almost, I'm almost getting tired of saying it. But i got to keep on saying it. Moms, your family is not yours. But this, this actually extends to not just moms. Moms, wives... Women, your family is not yours. They belong to God. Moms, you are not responsible for the salvation of your children or your husband. God is. Let him take that burden off of you. And for the women here, I want you to understand something. That Jesus Christ did not come to be served. Isn't that good? Women, you have to serve so many people. We'll take one name off the list. Jesus Christ did not come to be served. But he came to serve you. Isn't that amazing? Let him take that burden from your shoulder. You can put it on him. Because he is the great servant. Now, to the dads and to the men here... I want you to understand something, that Jesus is the model for how we should love. He's actually the model for how we should love our mothers. How did he love his mother? Well, he went to the cross for her. He sacrificed his well-being for her. So this isn't just for dads, but for all of the men here. You are called to sacrificially love your wife and your children and your family. That's an amazing thing for us. Uh, Women tend to do that very naturally. They tend to sacrifice much better than the men do. But you need to sacrifice. But again, you don't need to do it in your own strength and just, just gird up your loins and do it. You need to remember 
who Christ is and what he came to do for you. He sacrificed everything for you so that you can serve your families. I'm not just saying that to you. Understand I'm saying that to me as well. Okay. To the children in here, and let me see, let me count the children. That's all of you. All of us are children of somebody. The fifth commandment says we are to honor our fathers and our mothers. Children are terrible at this. <laughs> we are so selfish and we only think of ourselves. Well, we need to appreciate our parents and especially our moms. Our moms give so much for us so that we need to appreciate them, tell them that, and show them that. And if your mother is no longer here, you can still honor her by appreciating and being thankful to God uh, for all that she did for you. This is our reminder today. The reminder is not to be better or to do better. The reminder is to trust in Jesus Christ. Put your hope in him. Look to him. You're invited to be a member of his family. Put your faith and your trust in him. And then when you do that, enjoy being a member of Christ and his family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word, and I thank you for our families. Uh, Lord, we thank you for our mothers. Uh, we confess that too often we depend too much upon our families to give us our identity and our security. When only you provide real and true security to us. I pray that our hope and our trust would be in you. Uh, and that, Father, we would lean upon Christ. We again thank you for this day that you've given us. And we pray that you would help us uh, to do the things that we need to do. To honor our father and mothers. To love and to love sacrificially. For your sake and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name.